This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi, folks. Thanks so much again for spending some of your day with us here at Mindful Medicine. I'm just going to go right into our topic of the day. We're going to be talking about informed consent and how important it is. Now, as a bachelor degree nurse in my education, and certainly as my training as a naturopathic doctor, I understood the importance of informed consent over and over and over again, early days working in surgery. Um, we would have to get consent for from the patient um, for what was about to happen to them. Well, I have a guest today, uh, Dr. David Sklar. He is an, M- he is an MD, um, had a very interesting uh sort of situation happened to him. He's going to talk more about it, but he attended a prep school where he was unwitting. Uh, he was the unwitting subject of a research study, unwitting meaning he didn't give consent for this, um, that attempted to link body type to leadership potential. And from that, uh, we've got him here today to talk about the importance of informed consent and also what blossomed out of that experience. So Dr. Sklar, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. And it's great to uh, be here and uh, talk about this really important issue of informed consent. Yeah, so tell me back from 1965 to 1968, what happened? Well, so the book I wrote is called Atlas of Men. And Atlas of Men is uh, based upon, or at least starts, I was inspired by an experience I had as a 15-year-old when I uh, went to the uh, school and uh, very early on, after I arrived, all of us who were in my class were uh, told to go into a room where uh, we had to take off all of our clothes, and then we were photographed. And I often wondered what what was the reason for that. It was sort of an odd experience, and because I wanted to uh, succeed at that school, I didn't complain at the time, and I don't know that anybody did, but... It, it seemed really strange that we would have to be sort of photographed naked uh, like that. I, I think at first we thought it was just some sort of an identification photograph, but obviously you're not going to be photographing people uh, without their clothes on and their whole body. Sure. And uh, and so then later on I learned that uh, there was uh, a project going on not only at, at this school but uh, in many colleges around the U.S. where they were taking photographs of uh, students, many of them were freshmen at places like Yale and other colleges, and that the idea was to use those photographs to be able to do some kind of an analysis or an assessment of the bodies that the people uh, had and how that might uh, predict how they were going to function as leaders and uh, what kinds of achievements they might have in life and uh, I think the the idea ultimately was uh, that uh, this would be a way to, uh, and I hate to say this, but to sort of improve uh, the uh, the genetics of of the human race. And sure. Uh, th- th- that was sort of where this was coming from, from theories that had actually evolved back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, uh, called eugenics. Uh, and uh, this particular theory, it was called somatotyping. Somatotyping. Uh, meant that you could classify people's bodies into mostly three types, uh, and the three types were sort of the ectomorph, was someone who's kind of thin and kind of a nervous kind of person, and then the uh, mesomorph was more of the muscular kind of person, and then the endomorph was more the 
like the Santa Claus uh, looking kind of person, and and that there would be these characteristics that everybody would have maybe a, a bit of each of those, but that you could then do this analysis and and predict uh, what kind of personality the person would have and whether they could be a leader or you know would they be well fit to be a doctor or a teacher or a um, maybe a you know, someone who uh, did more physical labor, you know, that kind of thing. Well, you know, of course, the theory has, has been pretty much debunked, and, and I don't think anybody believes that it makes any sense, except maybe if you were trying to find out who would be a, you know, maybe a uh, in athletics, who would be perhaps the best sure. football player or something like that. But, but not for other kinds of things, uh, other occupations or other parts of life. So uh, the book uh, starts off with that as, as the initial uh, event that, that occurs. And then in the book, uh, I ask the question of what if those pictures and then the files that might have been developed uh, to, to follow people suddenly turned up on the doorsteps of uh, one of these uh, students many years later uh, with huh. all of uh, the analysis and so on. And, and so the book sort of then takes off from there and uh, identifies uh, you know, certain uh, conflicts and secrets and other things that were going on at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it does. It seems to raise important questions about scientific research and I would say maybe the abuse of human subjects in that research. But can you tell us why that was so important for you? To- well, it was it was important for me and I think for all of us who were photographed because it was humiliating, you know. It was it was sure. such a, a an odd experience, particularly at the age of fifteen, to have sure. uh, your picture taken by someone who you you know you didn't know who that person was and where the picture was going to go and who was going to see it. And and I think anyway, at fifteen, you feel pretty vulnerable anyway. And so having to uh, basically be stripped naked and be photographed was a um, I think it was was sort of a uh, an abusive and humiliating experience. Yeah, that I mean, and you know, to link back to the importance in in research, I think, and in, in medicine in general, of the of an informed consent. Uh, you you well, yeah, you didn't give your. Go ahead. No, we never gave. Our parents never knew anything about it, and right. no one ever explained anything to us about it. And of course. You know, with informed consent, the whole idea is that you, you know, there are times when we need to do research to, to get better medicines or new treatments, things like that. And and when we uh, ask people to participate in research, we explain to them why we're doing the research and what the benefit might be to them and what the risks would be. And then they get the opportunity to decide, yes or no, I, I'll participate or I won't participate or I need more information. Uh, and we don't, otherwise, we wouldn't do research on people, I don't think, today without having a uh, a discussion about about the, what the research was all about and the potential consequences of being a, a participant and the potential benefits. So that's, that's what informed consent is all about. And, and I know people often think about what it's about is you sign a form and then you, uh, you know, you're, you're then participating, but it's it's really much more than signing a form. It's it's all about the conversation that you have with the person who is telling you about the research, and and then you decide whether or not you're um, 
you know, you're willing to uh, to to participate. Usually, it's because you you, know, you participate for some reason. Maybe you think that the idea that they have that they're studying will really improve uh, healthcare, and you want and you want to be a, you know contribute to that in some way. Sometimes uh, you know you may feel like you can personally benefit if it's a new medicine, and you may uh, have a chance to to get cured from whatever is wrong with you with this new medicine. So you know there's a benefit that sometimes- way. Sometimes. Subjects um, then, yeah, then have a potential also, to monetize. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes subjects yeah, so um, some, some get paid something. Yeah, they may get paid, and so part of it. Yeah, they they so and and of course we all are different in terms of how much money it would take us to to put ourselves at risk. Uh, everybody you know has a different perhaps a number that that they would pick, and and yeah. So sometimes there's some payment uh, for people for their time and you know, for their uh, consent uh, to be a, a participant. More with Dr. Holly Lucille coming up. But first, I want to tell you about Kaya Biotics. Kaya Biotics are high-quality probiotics to improve gut health. Now, you want to feel good and live your best life, but if your gut isn't healthy or functioning properly, life can be miserable. The gut and its impact on our physical and mental health has been underestimated for years, and that's where Kaya Biotics comes in. Probiotics that are exclusively certified organic and only include organic ingredients, a complete novelty for probiotics. Plus, it's easy to get the right probiotic for your needs with three different probiotic supplements. And there's no unnecessary fillers, additives, or anti-caking agents. And Kaya Biotics are also vegan, GMO-free, and come in stomach acid-resistant late-release capsules. So try Kaya Biotics. It's a treat for your gut. Choose the right organic probiotic formula for your body and save 25% off your first purchase by using the code MINDFUL at checkout at kayabiotics.com. That's K-A-Y-A biotics.com. Once again, save 25% off your first purchase by using the code MINDFUL at checkout at kayabiotics.com. Now back to Dr. Holly Lucille in Mindful Medicine. So, you know, so it's quite interesting, I think, your tale. And then you've definitely, obviously, you've written this uh, sort of fictionalized perspective of something that's really important, um, this scientific, you know, sort of medical-based story and the importance of informed consent and and hopefully protecting folks in the future from ever anything happening the way that it did to you. What has been your response in the medical community about telling this scientifically medically-based story from this fictionalized perspective? Well, I I think people believe it is important. Uh, you know, this of course is a historical uh, issue in that it happened uh, many years ago, and I think a lot of people in medicine would say, well, now we have a much better system, and we really do uh, have protections for people through uh, the institutional review boards, and this would you know this would never happen. And in fact, children have special protections. So I was 15 at the time, so that would uh, be a special case. But if you go back and look historically, there, there have been some pretty unfortunate experiments have been done over the years. So there was, you know, one of the more famous ones was the Tuskegee uh, uh, 
experiments on African-American men uh, who had syphilis, and the idea was to follow them without treating them over a long period, even after penicillin and other antibiotics were developed. Uh, and so it, it took many years before the whole, all the truth came out about that. But, you know, that was really a terrible, uh, uh, I would say, a very, very terrible example of where human subjects were studied without consent. And, of course, there were these terrible experiments that the, um, that the Nazis did in, in Germany where, with a lot of Jewish uh, people who, who were then uh, studied in, in very unethical ways. Uh, you know, they were put in cold water to see how much, how cold it would, they would have to be before they would die. I mean, things that we would never even imagine now. But, you know, that, that sort of raised, <clears throat> you know, that raised, I think, the issue up to a level where people said, look, uh, we can't allow human subject research to occur without there being uh, oversight and informed consent. And, and so I think now people in medicine would say that uh, we have a lot of protections and in some cases maybe even more than we need that makes it difficult for us to do uh, important research. Uh, I, I think that it's uh, what we have now is appropriate and I think that the institutional review uh, is, is necessary because we, we don't want this kind of thing to happen, uh, and that people, are, if they are going to participate, that they are well aware of what uh, what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, well, once again, the importance of informed consent, and congratulations. Uh, people can find more about your book, The Atlas of Men, um, at your website, davidpsklar.com, S-K-L-A-R, so that's davidpsklar, S-K-L-A-R.com, and uh, your book is being sold where? Well, so it's available, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, and hopefully we'll have it in other bookstores. But if you go online, you can find it on either one of their websites. You just put in Atlas of Men and David Sklar, and it'll pop right up. And, you know, not only does it really raise these questions, but it asks questions about, uh, you know, who, t- who gives us the messages of who we are and who we want to be. And, you know, are we limited by things like uh, our body or even our race or or ethnicity, or other disabilities that people might have that um, they, you know, might have felt they would have limitations, and 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 who should uh, who should decide those things? And you know, my own viewpoint is that that we aren't limited; that that we should, uh, you know, we should be able to be who we think we want to be. And not everybody, you know, is is necessarily going to be a uh, an NBA basketball player if you're five foot three or something. You know, you are going to have that limitation. But um, I think uh, outside of those kinds of extreme situations, uh, I think a lot of it comes down to how hard we try and our motivations. And, uh, you know, if we stick to things, I think a lot of times we can we can be successful. Well, you know, congratulations! I have to say for taking an you know a quite an awful experience, especially as a young boy, um, and turning it into great messaging for everybody else and a wonderful book. So I really appreciate you being here and sharing your story. Thank you very much. All right, folks, mindful listeners, thank you so much again. And until next time.